Hello and welcome to Accent of Women, a show by and about women from diverse cultures and languages right across the world. I'm Giselle Hanna. Today on Accent of Women, we look at the growing crisis in Venezuela. Nicolas Maduro, president of Venezuela, has pledged to hold a referendum on a new constitution he's proposing in response to two months of violent anti-government protests. The rewrite of the constitution will be coordinated by a body called the Constituent Assembly, an election for which is being held on Sunday the 30th of July. To discuss the situation in Venezuela and the context leading up to the rewriting of the constitution, Katrina Kozarek, an activist based in Venezuela. I let Katrina introduce herself here. My name is Katrina Kozarek. I'm a video activist and documentary filmmaker living in, living in Venezuela since, uh, since the year of 2004. And currently I'm working with the Venezuela analysis team here in Venezuela. A lot of things are going on in Venezuela. Uh, there's a very, a very tense environment at this point in time as we're moving up towards uh, one week before the, the, con- the elections for the Constituent Assembly. Uh, we've been living a very difficult situation for the last two or three years uh, in, term- in economic terms and in a very difficult situation in terms of uh, very extreme uh, violence in the streets for the last since the the month of April. So I, I guess there's a, a lot of details about what's going on in Venezuela right now that, that need to be to be talked about to understand the context of of this next uh, this next pass that's going to be made with the the elections of the Constituent Assembly and how the how the Constituent Assembly came about. Uh, as I mentioned before, we've been living a, a very difficult economic situation for the last three years. Uh, this this economic situation is is kind of a mixture between um, between economic policies that were really never developed in the within the Bolivarian Revolution. Uh, not that they weren't proposed, but uh, there are there are several economic policies that were never really uh, brought to an end within the Bolivarian Revolution. Uh, Venezuela is still a country that is very dependent on on an oil economy, an oil rentist economy, um, which means that most of the food and most of the uh, of the economy is based on um, based on imports and based on exports. And whenever the the petrodollar goes down, well, the economy also suffers a lot. So it's a very in in some terms it's a very weak economy it's a very it's an economy that's really not a, really can't be ever an independent economy uh and and it means that uh Venezuela is dependent on other countries to be able to have any kind of access to and to be able to have the, the majority of its access to food especially processed food which is something that is uh, very common in Venezuela it's it's not a, a country that that has had a lot of eco, um, agricultural development in the last in the last 15 years, though that has been part of the revolutionary discourse. That has been part of the revolutionary project within Venezuela. It's not something that was able to really take off due to uh, certain cultures and customs within within Venezuela, and also um, maybe uh, there, there can be criticized some of the way that the agricultural pro- uh, agricultural programs were 
were brought off here in Venezuela. Um, there has been a big push in the last few years to be able to to develop agriculture more from a communal perspective instead of a state-owned factory or state-owned agricultural uh, project. So uh, that is definitely something that's going to be in debate within the National Constituent Assembly, which I will uh, talk a little bit more about later on. Since the death of Chavez, since Maduro came into power, there's been very strong economic sabotage as well. A kind of an, an, an artificial inflation of the black market dollar price uh, from from Dollar Today, which is which is a website that works with uh, works with houses of, of of money interchange in the border of Colombia. Uh, basically, you know, they have a very a, a very loose system for creating a black market dollar for the, for references for creating the the price of the black market dollar and it's just been a in and they're the ones who mark the standard for the black market dollar a, within Venezuela a, all over the country so they've had a complete control over the inflation rates within Venezuela and and that's affected prices on created an artificial in inflation for for most food products and other kinds of products. So uh, that's had a huge impact on the economy. There's also a situation um, where, where large companies within Venezuela, in mostly importation companies, uh, and also other companies such as Polar, which is one of the largest food pr production company in uh, within Venezuela, which has uh, a, a large in, which has a large income and uh, and and also has access to their own dollars because they do sell their products and do produce their products outside of Venezuela, uh, but they have insisted in the government uh, to have access to large amounts of dollars to be able to maintain their their production supposedly, but those dollars have not been uh, converted into production. Basically, taking the dollars, uh, probably changing them in the black market or in the case of Polar, uh, investing those dollars in their production outside of the country and, and not producing the, the amount of product that is needed within within the country. Um, in terms of medicine, there's also been a, a lot of companies that have received a lot of dollars uh, and they are not importing the medicine that people need access to here in, in Venezuela. There's definitely a, a, a crisis in terms of medicine. People do not have access to, to especially medicine that, that has to do with heart disease, epilepsy. A, a lot of chronic uh, medicines for chronic diseases are very difficult to find at this point in time. And it's not that the government has not invested uh, in these importation companies to have the, the medicines uh, within the country, it, it's that they've received the money. They've either used that money to to bring in other kinds of medicines that aren't so necessary, or simply uh, it said that they have brought them in the country and they haven't been brought within the country. Uh, uh, in some cases, medicine has been also hidden in, in certain lugar in, in certain places. People have found um, warehouses full of medicines that that are. That are uh, already expired. So uh, there, there's just been several years, and it's been getting worse and worse uh, since 2014 up until this point in time uh, of economic sabotage on top of of an economy that was already uh, not um, not the most the most stable as possible. What is the reason and justification for the economic sabotage? Where is it coming from, and and what are what are the specific mechanics of it? 
the economic sabotage that is occurring within Venezuela is it, it has come from several points. Uh, within the economic sabotage, there are participating national companies, uh, international companies. Uh, it has to do with uh, economic san sanctions as well from from the United States. Uh, what is the intention of it to topple the the Bolivarian government within Venezuela? While Chavez was in power, the the price of oil was was very high and the economy was very strong, um, and it was difficult to participate in an economic sabotage to that to the level that it's happening at this point in time uh, when Chavez was in power. Uh, but unfortunately, when Maduro came into power, the the price of oil dropped, and the economic sabotage was able to to get a lot further than it had when when Chavez was alive. It's not that it didn't happen. I think that uh, within the first 15 years of the Bolivarian Revolution, there have been several rehearsals for it. You know, I remember every time there was an electoral process, some some sort of product would just disappear. Oh, there's no an electoral process is coming, and there's no sugar, or there's no milk, or there's no uh, sanitary napkins, or there's no, you know, just a different kind of product every time that an electoral process came came up. And I think they were just testing the waters to see what people's reactions would be uh, with the different kind of products. And you know, they really found that that products that that affect health products that affect especially babies so you know disappearing products like like milk um and and basic food products uh ended up to uh, you know they tested it out and they saw that that well that's a good strategy because that generates the most kind of desperation as we can find within the country uh, so you know there's a lot of factors that are involved within the sabotage and i and and there's a you know a really um a phenomenon that goes along with the with with the sabotage, as I mentioned before, that we have international companies, we have national companies like like Polar, uh, we have uh, and we have also a sector of society, uh, which I wouldn't say is uh, involved in in the sabotage, but it definitely has played a role in terms of the economic sabotage. As I mentioned before, as products start to disappear, as uh, inflation starts to go up, if, uh, people uh, people have found a way to or to go to Colombia and buy products and bring them over to to Venezuela, or they they've had access to some of the some of the factors within within the society it, which there is there there is also I, and it needs to be said a part of the a part of a corrupt part of the the military and the national guard that is involved with with uh sometimes robbing and 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 also hiding certain amounts of food products so people who have contact with certain uh, companies with certain uh, also factors within the military that that have uh, that are hiding products have access to large amounts of product and then they begin selling it on a smaller on a smaller level uh, within the communities and that uh, at one point it, it's gone down a lot over the last year but at one point in 2015 um, I mean a, a large amount of the society was participating in illegal trafficking of food and this created another kind of inflation a, a, a false inflation when you found food that it's not easy to find, and you sell it in, in within the community. Well, the price goes up another 20, uh, 30 percent, 
uh, within the communities. So there's a lot of factors that are <laughs> that are involved within within the economic sabotage, whether they're uh, whether they're being more used or they're they're more active participants within it. And on community radio stations right across Australia, you're listening to Accent of Women. Today we're looking at the deepening crisis in Venezuela, both politically and economically, and the upcoming elections for the Constituent Assembly. I'm discussing these issues with Katrina Kozarek, an activist based in Venezuela. Some of the, the clashes, some of the violence in the street have been um, left and right-wing clashes. Can you tell me a little bit about that? In the month of April, uh, the national government and the 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 Supreme Court declared the the National Assembly in contempt of court. Uh, this happened because uh, since since the National Assembly was elected, there are two two deputies within the National Assembly who uh, who have been proven to be elected uh, through fraudulent processes. Uh, the National Assembly and the President of the National Assembly has refused to take them off the off the National Assembly. They they were sworn in, uh, and they've been participating actively within the National Assembly since it was installed in January. They had been warned several times that they had to take these two uh, deputies out of the out of the National Assembly, and they have not uh, done so uh, in April. Uh, and I think there's probably a lot more behind that. I mean, it's, that is the legal reasoning, and it is a legal and, and constitutional reason for the for the for the Supreme Court to declare the the National Assembly in contempt of court. Uh, but there are also um, some other things that 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 are behind that, and some of that has to do with a deal uh, that that the national government is making with uh, was making with Russia at the time. Uh, that in order to, to, to sign that deal, it needed the, the approval of the National Assembly, and I think it was kind of a strategy um, by by the part of Maduro to kind of bypass the, the approval of the National Assembly. Uh, the, it was declared in contempt of court. The general attorney, Lisa Ortega, um, Lisa Ortega it, it, Argumented that that was not constitutional. Uh, contested that uh, she contested that decision by the National Supreme Court, and uh, immediately the the national government went into a, a negotiation table and they made a, a, a kind of a collective decision what to do about that. But that was what kind of sparked off uh, seeing that the the Attorney General was willing to contest the national government kind of uh, and and also the decision to um, to call the national assembly in contempt of court which is a national assembly that is controlled at this point in time by the opposition uh, kind of sparked off a a wave of national protests by the part of the opposition uh, it did start out with a uh, with kind of uh, massive marches and 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 more peaceful kind of protests, 
but as the days went on, they've become increasingly, increasingly, increasingly more violent. Um, you know, since day one, there were violent acts within these protests, uh, just as there were in the year of 2014. In, in the year of 2014, we also went through about a month and a half of a very uh, violent protest that left 43 people dead. And now we're talking about uh, more than 100 people dead uh, since the month of April. Um uh, as I said, it, they started out with very uh, w with some more massive protests, uh, but also with violent actions uh, in in the end. And we're talking about roadblocks, uh, blocking people in within their communities that they can't get out. Uh, you know, uh, using uh, they started out uh, using uh, pr small projectiles, uh, Molotov. Uh, cocktails, um, but now uh, uh, at this point in time, they're using homemade uh, mortars, bazookas uh, to to attack the police. But also, uh, many bystanders have been victims of the uh, of these kind of uh, violent actions. Um, also, they themselves have been victims of their own of their own violent actions. You know, a, a few uh, young people who who haven't. I don't, I, I don't know if they've given them training for what they're doing, but uh, a, a few uh, young people have had their mortars go off in their own hands. Uh, they've hit uh, other kind of bystanders nearby. Uh, there, there has been a, a, a recent wave within these violent, uh, you know, supposedly pr protests. I think when it gets to this point, you can't even call it a protest. Uh, but there have been 19 people within the country that have been burned alive. 19 people within the country that have been burned alive simply for for appearing as if they were chavista i think the most uh, the most uh, well known case is the case of Orlando Figueroa in Caracas uh, who is a who who was a young uh, chavista man who who was was passing by during during a protest and uh, they the the opposition protesters grabbed him they threw gasoline on him they they put him on fire and and he was stabbed several times he managed to get out alive at that point in time but then died later on um here in the state of Lara where i live there are two there were two men two young men who were coming out uh, coming out of a party um there was a barricade outside of the of the apartment building where the party was uh, and and those who were were attending the barricade came up to them and they asked them if they were chavista. They said, "Well, what's it to you?" They threw gasoline on them and they and they put them on fire. Uh, they were able to get out alive. Uh, but even when they went to the hospital, the in the hospital, there's also a lot of participation of of doctors and nurses. Um, within the the opposition protesters, and they were refu refused medical care until about a week after uh, the burning happened. Um, there, there was another case last week in in Caracas. Uh, there was a, a terrible case in in and in the state of Anzuategui, where um, I think you know it's even become part of their political propaganda, uh, trying to trying to to make it. Uh, a more massive movement, these kind of live burnings uh, in the state of Answatagi, a, um, a man on a motorcycle was was burnt alive, and then he was uh, stabbed several times. 
uh, he, he obviously died completely, but this video was put on the internet and, uh, you know, as a kind of a, a, a way to, to, I don't know, I suppose to encourage more actions like this. But as I was saying, they're not, they, these these protests were, we can't at any way say that they've been, they're, the the majority of them are very few people uh but with very violent intentions and they've had you know very direct um very direct uh, targets that they have have gone for over the time you know there was a a, a point in time when they were targeting especially uh military bases like La Carlota in Caracas uh, in in other cities, all, always going for the military and police bases, and and you know that's been with a with a kind of very direct military aim to be able to gain the the support of the police and gain the support of the of the of the military for these kind of violent actions. It's not just protests; they are definitely going for a, a situation where they have a a, a coup d'état. Well, that's a very, that's exactly the question that I've got for you. There seem to be two very clear possibilities right now. One is a coup d'etat, which you mentioned, and the other is a breakout of civil war. And what's your assessment of the likelihood of either of those directions? Uh, both of them are very likely at this point in time. It's difficult to say what uh, what will be the direction that it will go in. As I mentioned before, I, I mean, the violence has gotten to a point uh, where, especially being being Chavista, you, you, you can't feel safe walking down the street at any point in time. I mean, the, the opposition has talked so much about... Uh, there being a dictator here in Venezuela, something that that I've spoken to a lot of people about in the last few days, it feels like there's a dictator, especially in the state of Lara, where we have an opposition governor, we have an opposition uh, mayor as well, uh, where I am located. And it feels as if we were in a dictator, but it's not a dictator of the government, but it is a dictator of the right, because we can't walk outside with our, uh, you know, the, the Chavistas can't walk outside with their, with their T-shirts, with a hat on, otherwise you're you're at a risk of getting um, getting beat up or getting violated uh, in some in some way uh, when crossing some sort of barricade. Um, the violence has gotten to a point where you know it it could break out into a situation of of civil war. As I mentioned before, um, part of the, the the Chavista project within the country has to do with peace. It has to do with acceptance. It has to do with tolerance. So I think, you know, uh, even though maybe some parts of the left within Venezuela come from come from traditions where they they, they possibly could have um, at least knowledge of uh, uh, of how to confront this this kind of situation, uh, it's not a part of the the political political project. And I think, you know, especially within the Chavistas, there's there's resistance. There's a, a an active um, they are working actively to maintain the peace. Uh, you know, and part of the national project, part of the proposal of Maduro is going to a constituent assembly. Because also within, it's it, it's necessary to mention that that uh, within the Chavista, within within the Chavista community, there is also a lot of discontent with Maduro. As I said before, there is a large part of the working class who does a does support him, but there's also a lot of discontent with Maduro within within uh, within the Chavista 
community um because uh, because i think in the last uh, in the last 3 or 4 years as the economic crisis has gotten worse as the uh, as the, the the violence has gotten worse it, the government the national government has been very willing to negotiate been very willing to sit down in, at tables with the, with the opposition uh, there's been negotiations with private companies that haven't gotten uh, ha- in, and transnational companies that haven't had results, uh, and, 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 and in that sense, there, there's also been kind of a, um, a push and pull situation with popular power. You know, Chavez before he died, he said, to "Nicolas, I, I commend you the co- the communes as I commend you my life." Uh, so people it came into the government with Maduro with a lot of hope of, of of really being able to bring forward a political project that has to do with deepening democracy, that has to do with deep, deepening popular power, uh, that has to do with really changing the, the economic and, and electoral models. And there just hasn't been a, a response to that. And it's, I mean, we can't say that it's completely Maduro's fault because it's been several years of extreme economic and also violent sabotage within the country and he hasn't had a day a day of peace since he's since he's come in but uh, there's definitely a lot of uh, dis- discontent because there hasn't been a response to that so um so the constituent assembly is seen by a lot of factors within chavismo as as the solution, as uh, the hope for the future, uh, as a space where, where at last we can enter into a direct dialogue with the, the you know, the people can enter into a direct dialogue with the government and, and push forward, uh, push forward proposals for for real change that, you know, the the we feel that could could change the could change the economy, could make those fundamental changes to to increase national production to 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 change uh, the logic uh, uh, of property, to to make uh, the decisions of the government be more participatory, um, and they see that as a solution for for bringing peace within the country. That was Katrina Kozarek, activist in Venezuela, discussing the deepening crisis there. There are many ways that you can support the movement in Venezuela and I'll post to Accent of Women's Facebook page the request that's come directly from the Council for Social Movements and another group in Venezuela called ALBA. But that's all we have time for on today's program of Accent of Women. Accent of Women is produced in the Melbourne studios of Community Radio 3CR with the financial assistance of the Community Broadcasting Foundation. The show is distributed nationally via the Community Radio Network with special thanks to the Community Broadcasting Association of Australia. If you want to get in touch with the producers of the show, you can write to us at accentofwomen at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Twitter or like our page on Facebook. If you want to hear this show again or any of our previous programs, you can download the podcast from 3CR's website. That's 3cr.org.au. Go to the Accent of Women page and follow the links to this week's show. Don't forget to check out our social media so that you can find out how you can support the movement in Venezuela. Thanks for tuning into the show. I'm Giselle Hanna and I look forward to your company again next week.